Welcome to the Judging More Than Just a Cover podcast. I'm Amber Gregg. I'm Kate Oda. I'm James Moore. And today we are going to be talking about Small Great Things by Jody Picot. And this is a contemporary courtroom drama book that follows Ruth, who is a labor and delivery nurse. And she is kicked out of the room in care of a child. And the child ends up dying later on after she tries to save him. And then she is accused of being responsible for his death. And the parents of this child are white supremacists. And that leads to a lot of racial tension and ultimately a crime courtroom uh, case. So overall initial thoughts. Well, I'll go first. I thought that this was one of the best books I've ever read. It was, yes, I was very impressed with the book, the structure of the story, the way the story was done in ways that I knew we were going to be led down certain paths, but it wasn't obvious how. And of course, the subject matter is uh, stuff that's really near and dear to me. And um, the only criticism I have of the book is that I I think that the ending was a a little bit too Walt Disney, a little bit too happy, happily ever after. And we'll talk about that later, of course. But um, in all other respects, I, I really enjoyed the book and was impressed by the author's research and her insight into the characters. And, you know, I had to I had to look up. I'd never heard of her before. And I said, man, you know, this I don't know if this woman's biracial or white or black or whatever. But um, either she's she's in an environment where she's really in touch with these issues or she she just has some, a stellar research team. She did a great job with her character. Uh, yeah, I'll second you that she she really got deep into all these characters, almost too deep into the white supremacist. That was really hard to read those chapters and his chapters were so long and I just wanted to be out of his head. So that's my only giant complaint about the book. I also ended up reading one of Turk's chapters during the insurrection at the Capitol on January 6th, 2020, uh, for people listening in the future, which was a terrible time to be reading <laughs> from the perspective of a white supremacist. 2021. Uh, 2021. Oh, no, that's right. Yeah, it's out of wrong. 2020, finally. <laughs> It's the year that never ended. God. Uh, Yeah. So that was a little uh, hard to read for me. I just, it was so uncomfortable, but uh, I had to finish the book because I really was worried about Ruth. So she did a great job making me really attached to her and and root for her a lot. Yeah. So, well, initially I had a really hard time even getting through the beginning. The very detailed medical description of a baby dying was was difficult. And the whole book was difficult to read for a variety of different reasons. Um, But but just listening to like the medical description of that. and, And, you know, I had a baby recently, so that was once I got through that part, then I could actually like take in the information a little bit more. Uh, as a whole, I haven't really been a fan of her books in the past. Uh, they <laughs> they always feel a bit misleading because the covers always look all like, oh, how cute. This is going to be a really wonderful, feel good contemporary novel. 
but they're always really deep. Um, like you said, she it's clear how much research she does for every single book she's written. I read another book by her, The Storyteller. It was about a Nazi. Uh, so it went deep into that perspective too. And, and I think that she tries to kind of show like the good and evil perspectives a lot of times and to kind of make you question the you know right and wrong and like blurring the lines clearly in this book there was there was a right and wrong the nazi there's a right and wrong but there was another book i read of hers um change of heart where it was another kind of like crime not really crime but i guess courtroom where it was the same kind of thing where you like start to, you see both perspectives and you just like start to feel a little bit bad for the bad, you know, the evil person. And I wouldn't say that I felt bad for um, Turk, but it felt like sometimes she was trying to make you feel bad for them in their, their situation. I mean, they, they lost a kid, which is awful. No one deserves to lose a child. But so many other things in their life were just truly awful. So I guess, what are your thoughts on that? Like, do you feel like there was any, any like sympathy towards those characters or they were just, you know, you couldn't feel bad for them no matter what? Well, I'll, I'll go first again. The, the way that Turk was portrayed, um, and, you know, I'm, and I know I'm speaking for the author, so this is just, you know, James is guessing. But the way it was done, I had a feeling that in the end, there was going to be some kind of redemption for, for Turk. You know, she presented him as a person, as a human being, as opposed to just a, a vicious monster full of hate. Now, it's and it's easy to fall into that trap when you're dealing with a, a character as a white supremacist and not just a white supremacist, but a white supremacist trailblazer and leader and want to be you know, ruler of that crowd. But um, I could tell early on she was kind of setting us up for his redemption because of us, you know, showing her showing us that he's a like a, a regular guy, the way he interacted with his wife and, you know, the way other people would normally do that. And then she would, bam, hit us with some horrible, vile, vicious thing that he's done, like, you know, their first date and beating up people. That's usually not a first date type thing. Usually it's like a movie or something like that. In that different world, it's, you know, that's, it, it seemed realistic to me. I'm not in that world, but it seemed real. I believe that just because of my personal experience, you know, for you people listening out there, I'm a, a middle-aged African-American man. Some people can't get that from my voice, but I always really feel, I feel sympathy for white supremacists. I feel I feel sad and sympathetic for them because there, there are a few that are, you know, well-educated and they have this belief and that's something that they believe. And I'm not trying to change anybody's mind, but by and large, there's a, a wide wave of them that's been misled, simply misled and told lies to, you know, get their anger up. And that's where, you know, that those kind of groups come from and you're and they progress and, and thrive by misinformation and misleading people. And that's sad that those people get led down a path and they're always blind to the truth and live in darkness, really. And before I really start getting preaching, uh, that's that's how I feel about it. Yeah, I I thought that it was almost presented like a cautionary tale of like, here was this guy. He started out as a normal person and then like one thing went wrong and then he turned to the wrong people and then he believed everything that he was told. Uh, and it was almost cautionary, like you don't you're not 
born evil, you're made evil kind of thing. Maybe to to warn people that the white supremacists weren't the only racist people in the book. They were just the most racist people in the book to be the obvious people that you're like, that's wrong. And then when you see someone do something that seems less racist, uh, then you're like, wait, wait a second. You were supposed to be the good lawyer and you just said that? Are you sure? So maybe it was to, to show that there's a spectrum that you can start sliding the wrong way on you and you have to, to catch yourself to be a better person, I guess, because that's in the end, he does have a redemption arc. So that was nice. Yeah, I think that, uh, you know, you could think of these white supremacist groups as a cult basically and cults do prey on people who have awful upbringings people who are looking for a sense of community uh, people who don't know where else to turn and so they end up getting caught up in these these common beliefs and they spiral it's kind of that um you know the hive mind like mindset you know you you get one person riled up other people get riled up everyone's riled up same with the the events that happened a few weeks ago week ago I don't even know the days are really long these days (laughs) what is time But, you know, one person or a group of people take things too far and you get into like the adrenaline and I don't want to say excitement, but the the passion of everything. And then people who might not have gone as far on their own in a group, they feel like they can get away with a lot more. And I think it was the same thing in this book where it's like they riled each other up and then with beating people up and going further and further. And and some people like the one friend was able to get out and was like, oh, now I see how wrong all that was. But it's hard for people to leave that because of the community that they have. And Turk was very hurt when his father-in-law revealed, (laughs) you know, the big twist at the end, right? I guess, what did you think about that twist? Was that a believable twist? Is it possible for someone to go so far into white supremacy just because of you know they were he he basically was cheated on oh that's not the part i didn't find unbelievable oh (laughs) what part i found unbelievable was that a woman who was half african-american didn't know like wouldn't wouldn't she know Well, I'm thinking no, not necessarily, because there are a number of people I know in my life that are a mixed race. In fact, I have an uncle who is, well, you know, there's very few people that's 100%, you know, Black, that you would say. But my uncle is, he's got as much African-American blood in him as I do. But if you saw him on the street, I mean, you would think he's, he's white as the president. I mean, he has his whole life, he's had to fight people at the DMV. They say, oh, you... You checked the wrong box in, in your on your uh, on your race. He was like, "No, I didn't." And they say, "Yes, you did." And then he says, "No, I didn't." He has to bring his birth certificate. He brings a picture of his parents. You know, it's wow. it's just that it doesn't happen every time. But there's a rarity in that that skin tone that you know, and and features that are atypical of what you think of as you know, African American male or female. So. It's entirely possible that that child that um, that she could have been, you know, come out of that African-American woman and be raised thinking that she is Caucasian. It's I say it's possible, 
not probable, but you know, the percentile is like it's not like two or three percent, it's higher than that. So, yeah, it's believable. Interesting. I mean, like, I, I was thinking just beyond skin tone, wouldn't there be her, wouldn't her hair potentially like have a different texture, have different needs? She was a carrier for sickle cell trait. <laughs> Right, right. And, You've gotten and, tested at some point for that. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, and you know, there's a. I guess there's a way for you know her father to dodge that. But as far as her hair and 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 skin and and all that stuff, features of her face that you think are you know as as typical, it's possible that all that can be explained. Especially if you hear some. Oh, your your great grandfather was from you know Italy or something like that. You know you. You can explain some, you know, some things away, some features away. But I was a little taken aback when they, <laughs> when she did that reveal, and I saw it as a little bit convenient as far as the uh, the way of defusing that entire group as far as being a threat to Ruth and Kennedy. Because you know, at that point, right before that point in the book, Turk is saying stuff like "I'll never forget." He tried to attack her in the courtroom. I'm thinking, okay, there's going to be some kind of bloody confrontation or something like that's going to come down. But that turn diffused the whole situation because the whole group kind of like imploded when that came out. Mm-hmm. So, and I kind of saw that as a little convenient, but I was able to accept that in the in the, the heart of a poetic license in getting the story done. Yeah, it did need to wrap up at that point. Although I was worried they were going to show up at Ruth's house at any given moment. I mean, they know her name. They could just... Oh, I definitely up. thought the son was going to be murdered. Oh, yeah. I'm, someone. I'm I thought someone. that didn't happen because all of her books are like horribly horribly tragic (laughs) they have like really sad endings too i mean this whole book was not pleasant i wouldn't say it was a you know it had any really happy moments um but i definitely thought it was going there i thought we were gonna have um, Edison be murdered. Yeah, I kind of saw that maybe happening too because of the, the balance of a son for a son type thing. Right. But this author seems to not take the easy way out. I think that would have been an easy way out type thing to have that kind of obvious balance to have uh, you know Edison be killed. So I, that, that might be one of the reasons why that didn't happen. So a question that's been kind of like eating away at me ever since I even started on page one is she she's a white author. She clearly is writing about something that is sensitive, right? And there's a lot of discussion in the book community about own voices and representing who you are and having authentic voices, especially for minority groups. So how do you feel about a white woman writing a book from the perspective of an African-American woman? I mean, she also wrote from the perspective of a white supremacist, but this is a minority group that I'm specifically asking about. Is that aimed at me? Either. <laughs> I, I feel like I don't want to. I, don't, I feel like I'm kind of taking over, so I'm gonna let Kate go first. Okay. I think if she was a debut author, I don't think she could have gotten away with this being her debut. I think people just wouldn't have given her the. Not the credit, but you know, they wouldn't have trusted that she researches a lot. 
but her previous books and how much research she has put in all those characters probably got the publisher to be like, well, okay, you do your work and, and that kind of thing. And in the ebook version that I had, there was a little afterword thing where she talked about how she's a white author writing outside of kind of outside of her lane, because it's not just that Ruth is a black character that she's writing from. It's that the book is about race pretty much. And she, she seemed to have some justification in there. She talked about how many people she interviewed, but in the end, she kind of didn't convince me. And in the end, I wasn't positive that she was the right person to write the book. So that's my take. Okay. Well, I'll say this. I have been Black for over 55 years. And when, and when I read the first couple of chapters of this book, I was pretty convinced that the author was Black. You know, the way she, especially since the first character she molds for us is Ruth. And the way she was able to really get into her mind and, and how she thinks and what she has to deal with on a regular basis as far as race and everything. I said, oh, you know, this, this one was Black. So, I, you know, I looked her up to see her face and everything. I was like, oh, she's not Black. <laughs> So, I mean, I, I don't know how she can write what she writes so well without having either a close personal relationship with um, some people, not just one, but some people in the African-American community. Because not only did she show the perspective for Ruth, but Ruth's sister, or I'm not going to try to pronounce her name, but, um, you know, there's, there's a, of course, you know, we're not all the same. There's different challenges and everything and, and different um, ideals within that community that she touched upon, you know, with Ruth, with Edison, with, uh, you know, Ruth's sister and the the one character that was Al Sharpton type guy who was, uh, you know, and, you know, they she touched on those so well that she's got to have some kind of personal relationship with um, that community to be able to do it. And the three of us are authors, too. We know that we have to tap into minds that are not necessarily like ours to bring characters to life, because all we would be writing is a, is about us if we if we couldn't do anything, do anything else. It's just that I think this author is kind of a master at it. Yeah. As we said earlier, I think she does take a lot of time researching. I don't know how she does it, because she puts out like several books a year, but then yet she goes so deep into her research I mean, honestly, with authors as big as she is, she probably has a whole team of people that can help her with her research. And she probably has access to a lot of sensitivity readers that can give her feedback. So I'm sure that's helpful. But Kate, I agree with your point about how if she was a debut author trying to put this out, there'd be a lot of pushback. She probably wouldn't make it very far, but yes. And she already has a history of, like James said, you know, authors have to write lots of different perspectives all the time. And, and she had the one book from, you know, the Nazi perspective. She had criminals, lots of different perspectives. And, and she's been able to put her voice into them. I did read a lot of reviews on this book after I finished and there were, it was kind of split. A lot of people felt you know, she did a good job with portraying the different perspectives. And then there were a lot of people that also said, you know, she she didn't do a good job of it. So I think, like you said, James, everyone has a different experience. So she, there's no way she could possibly take everyone's experience into account either. But 
I mean, I'm, I think it's good that somebody tackled a book like this. Yeah. Yeah. I think it was, it was very significant to me, especially earlier. Um, Kate said something along the lines of the white supremacists were the most racist group that we read in the book. I would uh, argue that a little bit. They were the most violent for sure. Definitely the most violent. But I think that Turk's hatred was kind of on the par of of Ruth's sisters, you know, at, at this, basically the same level, but just a different philosophy of how to go about it. You know, her Ruth's sister was, you know, she kind of, she really played the victim. She was, she had all this angle anger bottled up and instead of beating people up, you know, with her fists like Turk probably would and trying to change the world, um, she went about just, I'm going to get mine. And all these, these every white person that she saw, she was basically angry with and had an, had an issue with, even when they're trying to do her a solid. So I think that they're, they're probably on equal levels as far as their hatred and racism. I would, okay, so I would say that her general fan base is white women in book clubs. Do you think that's fair to say? Yeah. 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 So do you think that this book was targeted still to that kind of fan base? Or I'm not sure what I'm trying to ask here, but but that's generally who is probably reading her book. And I think that's partly why she's so successful too, is because her books are often chosen in book clubs because they spark good discussion. I know, James, you really enjoyed this book, but when authors are writing, they generally cater to who they think is going to most likely pick up the book. So do you think that that's the case for this book? Or do you think she was trying to reach a wider audience? Well, my perspective on this book was that it was, it's an excellent book. If you are, if you have an established group of middle-aged or you know young and middle-aged white housewives that have a book club and if any of them say you know i wonder what the experience is like for african-american women and what they have to deal with and you know how can you explain that to me i think this is a great book to read for that it's not the bible on that subject but it gives you a better insight than watching something on tv or seeing commercials on, on tv about it and i think it was i think it was pointed at that group there was a lot of things that might have been would have been shocking to that lady in the book club that I read and just said, uh huh, that's just how it is. And unfortunately, and I'm, you know, I'm not speaking for the entire black community, which is something else that she talked about in the book as one of the frustrations for a person of, of color. Whenever we say something, we assume, okay, you're representing every single person in your race, you know? And, and, and she hit that nail on the head. But um, unfortunately, there are a lot of African-Americans in our community and we interact with um, people of other colors, especially Caucasians. And and if someone asks a question where we don't want to have the, t- the time to, to answer them, it irritates us to answer that question. Shouldn't you already know that? No, they shouldn't already know that. That's why they ask you the question. And we kind of make somebody feel guilty or dumb for for trying to get to know you. And, you know, there's there's that spirit out there that needs to be squashed. And I think this book attacks that or or helps out with that and maybe encourages someone to ask that question, you know, next time. So I don't think she was necessarily going for a broader audience, but I think the audience that she had established, she was kind of giving them a way to be able to approach a very touchy subject, maybe with the, the Black friend that they have. Oh, yeah, I like that that perspective. Yeah. I think I think you're right. I think that it's a way to tackle these these difficult subjects that yeah, you probably wouldn't want to 
go up to someone on the street and ask like, hey, how do you feel about this, right? Uh, so, so yeah, I think it is a good window into that. Um, I was also going to ask about the timing too, because this was published in 2016. So, you know, of course, election year, that was, you know, significant time. Uh, I mean, this is, you know, white supremacy is not a new thing. Uh, and then she, of course, had been researching and starting to write it probably for a bit of time, but but the but where the book sits in time, how, you know, how do you think it's connected? Well, because I was reading part of it on Insurrection Day, I'm going to jump on this. I actually read the part where Turk was trying to like rile up other white supremacists to go like do something. And I thought they were going to just like raise a neighborhood or something. You know, I thought they were going to destroy stuff. And everyone told him no. They're like, oh, no, no, we, we're we're secret Nazis or like whatever <laughs> the phrasing was. And they're like, we're going to stay underground. And then I get online and like, that's, that's not uh, the strategy anymore, apparently. <laughs> so it did feel a little bit like, oh, look, these fictional white supremacists are more restrained than the real white supremacists. That doesn't happen very often. <laughs> and it felt, so it felt actually almost slightly dated because of that, because they all had the mindset of let's keep it on the down low. And in the Trump era, it became somehow socially acceptable to spew hatred everywhere. And so it it did feel just a little too late. <laughs> yeah, I think as far as the, the timing, I th- yeah, I think that the book, like like you said, it was just a tad too late because there's a turning point in, in this country where people saw it was okay to express that hatred. And it basically, the turning point was an election. And we we know what I'm talking about. I'm not going to, you know, say names or anything like that, but we know who we're talking about. And until then, that underlying current that you're, that you're talking about of that uh, suppressed disdain for our society is got tapped into by us, by one person being elected. So it's number one is not that one person's fault. He's just a lightning rod. And number two, the person that followed this candidate feels that way. But the people that do feel that way, they, they finally had an out. They finally had an, you know, a thumbs up to be able to say and do certain things because they knew that they were lending support to a group of, of force and government that was not going to, you know, step on them. And that kind of came apparent on the insurrection day. So, and and it's a reminder that, you know, we we still have this problem just because it, it's been covered up, just because the people are not running around in hoods and burning crosses on front lawns. They're wearing three-piece suits now and they're doing insidious things as opposed to obvious things. That doesn't mean we don't have a problem anymore. As far as the method that these groups are taking that's, that's depicted in the book, yeah, it's just, it was just a, a tad off from everybody in the choir as far as what was going on. But, you know, I'm sure that the author, after she got done and said, you know, gave it to the publisher and everything, and then uh, events unfolded the way they did, she was like, oh, darn, you know, I wish I had put this book out two, three years ago. Yeah, I think that's really difficult as a writer. Like, how, I mean, you can't predict it. And writing a book takes so long that a lot of times what you start with isn't relevant anymore, even by the time you finish writing it. And then, you know, once it is published a year or two later, it's all even more irrelevant. But what were your thoughts on just the overall events? Okay, so 
first, let's go back to the beginning, right? So Ruth is very passionate about her job. She gets kicked out of the room just for, you know, for racist reasons, right? They don't want her to touch the baby. Then she's put into a really tough decision that she has to make in a split second, right? So she's told not to take care of this baby. She sees that the baby is in distress. She decides to help, but then later lies about even helping. So she's getting in trouble for not helping, but she's afraid she's going to get in trouble for helping. So what would you do if you were in her shoes? Or do you think that she should have come out with the truth earlier that she did try to help? Do you think that would have helped her at all, her case? It depends on the hospital's policy, which theoretically should be that if there's an emergency, you do something. Right. And there, you know, there's laws to protect people from being sued for like harming you when they do CPR or something like a good Samaritan law or something like that. So theoretically, she did the right thing by trying to help the baby. Lying about it, my personal philosophy is that lying will never help you. It never helps. Especially Just in court. always be honest. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, especially in court. So minimum, minimum, she should have told the lawyer the truth before the courtroom. After she earned her trust before the courtroom. Somewhere in that zone. Um, maximum, she should have just been honest the whole time. I don't know if that would have helped her. The hospital still could have thrown her under the bus. Absolutely. Like they shouldn't have. I'm not saying they should throw her under the bus. I'm saying they probably would have because they all seemed pretty ready to do that, which is weird. So yeah, she was really put in a tight spot. And I think that her lawyer showed that well when she made some arguments in the courtroom about like being stuck between a rock and a hard place. But I just thought she should have been honest a little sooner. <laughs> well, as far as um, the question of, you know, what would you do in that in that spot? Sitting in this nice, comfortable chair at home and looking at the situation, there's some, I would like to be able to say, yes, I would honor my oath and just, you know, do what I'm supposed to do as, as a nurse if I was in that situation. But number one, it would have been a much more boring book. Number two, looking at Ruth's perspective on that, the hospital let her down by putting that sticky note. I mean, they really let her down. If, if they did say, you know, except in case of emergency, just that's just not your patient, that would have been one thing. But to go blanket like that, say, dude, you know, no, no African-Americans have to touch this baby. That, you know, that's a hospital that is short-sighted and is, um, you know, asking for trouble, which is, you know, gave us the entertainment of this book. And also kind of ignoring, you know, the, the fact that you got two white supremacists going to a hospital. Don't they think they're black nurses and doctors somewhere in America <laughs> that seem like they would make that statement walking into the hospital, you know? But anyway, putting that aside, I think that, you know, I would like to say that I would do the right thing, but it made it so more realistic that Ruth was hesitant on that because, you know, that's how that's how you really feel. You know, that you you, you got a choice between your your career, your livelihood, your your job that you're you know, supposed to be doing, not just a paycheck thing, but an oath that you took versus, you know, I'm trying to support a son to go through college and I need to be here for him and that sort of thing. If I do against what the hospital says, I'm going to lose my job, even if I keep my oath. And they talked about that during the trial, that she was between this rock and hard place. And um, you know, books and stories are more, way more interesting when people 
or not dealing with the high idealistic stature. And that's what made Ruth an interesting character. When she yelled out in the court that she thought that the baby would be better off dead versus being raised by Turk, that's, that was real. And I was, I, I saw that coming as soon as she d- d- demanded to be put on the stand. I said, oh man, this is, this is what's coming. And it did. So Ruth wasn't a shining example of our hero or heroine. She has flaws too, just like we all do. And you know, I, I think that even though she was, you know, in that conflict, that I might have done actually what she did, knowing now what you should do versus what you actually do is that line that she was on the other side of. So your your statement makes me want to ask the question I always ask. Do we have a strong female main character? So you said she has flaws, which we've talked about before, that you can definitely have flaws and still be a strong lead character. Uh, but we actually had quite a few females. And we had, I mean, we had Kennedy too. Honestly, I always forget that she had a perspective <laughs> in the story. <laughs> When I was looking at my notes today, like, oh, yeah, she she had a, a voice in there, too. But she, you know, was kind of forgettable compared to the very strong voices in Ruth and, and Turk, the very, you know, opposite ends there. So do we have one or multiple strong women characters? I'm going to argue that Kennedy wasn't really a strong character. She didn't make a lot of choices that affected the plot necessarily. I felt like she was a reader insertion. She's the person that all those white ladies in that book club are supposed to feel like, oh, that's me, that I'm Kennedy. I've got the, you know, the perfect little house and the Mm. kid like eating crackers or whatever. So they feel like they're Kennedy. And then Kennedy learns like, oh, maybe I'm not as perfect as I thought I was, which maybe is what the white lady book club is supposed to learn along the way too about themselves. So I felt like she was a reader insertion who just happened to have a lot of lawyer dialogue. Um, But that Ruth was definitely the strong female lead because she made a lot of choices that affected the plot. Uh, Not just with, do I take care of this baby? Do I not take care of this baby? But, you know, do, do you trust the lawyer? Do you not trust the lawyer? What does she do about the famous guy, the sister? How does she handle the son? She made a lot of choices that really moved things along. And and she had flaws, which you got to have as, as a strong female character. And uh, and she also had a lot of like strong moral character to her core. You know, she really cared about taking care of the patients. And so I felt like she, she absolutely was a strong female character. So what about some of the supporting females like... We have Britt, uh, Turk's wife, right? She was the other female. And then we have Odette. You know, they didn't have perspectives, but they were also pretty significant in the story. Britt was a little flat for me, gonna be honest, because she she was there. And then once the baby died, she was depressed, understandably. But that's not a f- very active character when you're depressed. Except in the flashbacks. Well, the flashbacks. But even then, she was still a little bit of a passive, I'll just do what the boys tell me to do kind of character. Um, And then Odette didn't make a big impression on me. (laughs) I had some issues with Odette because she, because she, I know she was trying to do her job, right? And that's what she kept saying, right? She's like, I'm just trying to do my job. And, And Ruth kept trying to get her on her side, Right. Um, I think, I mean, you know, I I have never been in Odette's position. I would never have to make that choice, but I couldn't imagine 
having to defend any criminal, let alone a white supremacist, and you know that they're in the wrong, right? And, and your job is to defend them. And I don't know, I just, I couldn't do it. And I don't know how people do it. But there are many, many people who have to have to do that. And then as an African-American woman, even more so, her having to defend a white supremacist. I mean, it's not really defending if you're the prosecutor. You don't have to be like, my guy's better than that guy. You just got to be like, that guy's wrong. Ignore this guy. That guy's wrong. <laughs> yeah, I, w- I would have to say, first, I want to answer the question also as far as do we have a strong female character? And it's basically going to be a ditto of everything that Kate said. That Kennedy was, is that person in the book club and that Ruth is that strong character. And I really admire the fact that she is flawed. Those flaws actually, in my mind, strengthen maybe not the character, but the relationship between the reader and the book and between the two characters of Kennedy and Ruth. Because the the assumptions that Ruth makes as far as, you know, can I trust this person? That's why she kept the, kept lying at first. She said, I can't trust this person that, that because of the color of their skin. The absolute opposite end of what's happening to her, she does the same thing in a way to protect herself. Um, and people don't see that you're basically doing the same thing. You're becoming what you hate when you do that, you know, instead of taking people on a case by case basis. But I think that Ruth is a strong character because of how she grows. She does develop. She does learn some things and she teaches also. She taught Kennedy the real reason, what was really important, whether she was going to jail or not, she just wanted her safety, she wanted dignity. Dignity was the big thing that she wanted and was stripped from her since they the cops broke into her house. Dignity was just stripped away and kept away until she got her chance to, to speak on the stand. She stumbled at the end, but uh, she got to have her say. But um, as far as the the, the prosecutor, and, and this is just another facet of how this author shows so many different sides of the community. I, it's almost a trope in legal dramas that you, you know, the person talks about, well, I, you know, I, we have a system. It's not perfect, but we got to work with the system. And my job is to prosecute. If, if that, if your client's innocent, it's your job to show they're innocent. I don't, I'm not concerned with that. If I can trick a jury into thinking that your client's guilty, then you didn't do your job. That's how this imperfect system works. And the prosecutors that can, you know, represent drug dealers or, you know, Jewish lawyers that can represent Nazis, you know, if they have to, something that's that sort of thing. The way they justify it is they have a highly analytical mind and they think that the truth will out no matter how hard you fight for your client. If somebody else is doing their job, this system should work and everybody deserves their day in court. It's almost a trope, but that's what we fall on. So uh, again, but, you know, Amber, I agree with you. I wouldn't be able to do it because they bring in the wrong person with me. I'll just stand up in court and say, my client's guilty. You should throw him in jail. (laughs) (laughs) And then there'll be a mistrial. I'm disbarred and all that stuff. So. So that's where we are. Did you see that uh, they are making a movie version of this? We, it, it would be a great movie. Um, <laughs> Viola awesome. Davis and Julia Roberts are wow. the, said to be stars. Julia Roberts is Kennedy? I don't know. That's what I was guessing. I pictured Kennedy to be a lot younger. <laughs> that's what I'm thinking. I mean, if you got a, how old was the child? Four. Every four kid in the book around? for some reason was four. <laughs> Yeah, maybe maybe Julia Roberts is the judge. <laughs> you know, <laughs> I don't know. She, she's Julia the juror Roberts. teacher who is like the, the tricky juror. Yeah. <laughs> I have no idea. She has a cameo somewhere in there. Oh. 
I, I even say- do that when they say like, oh, this big star is in this movie and they're in there for like two seconds. I saw, this is really off topic. There was this one movie, oh, it's going to bother me. I can't remember. It was the worst movie I've ever seen in my entire life, but it was supposed to have An- Antonio Banderas in it. Like he was listed as a main character and we go and he literally appeared for like two seconds after the credits. <laughs> it was, so, it was, I've never written a, a review and, and my husband has never written a, view, a review for a movie like on like the, the movie review websites, but we both wrote on, we're like, this is, this is awful. Why is this in the universe? And Antonio Banderas is not in this movie. So we'll see if Julia Roberts is actually in this movie or if she is one of the jurors that you see for two seconds. <laughs> Maybe they meant Emma Roberts. She would be too young. Well, She'd be a little young. I mean, she probably is at least 30, but she looks young. She, yeah, she does look young. But anyway, know. so we'll see if they actually make a movie. I know that a lot of um, movies, their timelines have been pushed all around with COVID stuff. So we'll see if that happens. I, I know at the very least... Her book, My Sister's Keeper, was made into a movie. I don't know if any of the other ones have been made into movies, but she has, I don't know, at least 30 books, probably. Are there any other comments or insights you want to make sure you share? I want to give Kate the last word, so I'll, I'll jump in and say that this book was one of the best multifaceted explorations into the a culture that I'm a part of. And I especially connected with Ruth because in the parallel of my life, I mean, I'm not a nurse, but I kind of lived her experience. I didn't want to be like, you know, become white people. Like she kind of hinted at, I want to be one of you. She wants to fit in and that sort of thing. But there is, at least growing up, I experienced this almost a stigma. If you want to educate yourself, if you want to have a profession versus a job, if you want to, you know, climb to some certain heights and make a contribution, there's an element, not the majority, but there's an element in, in, the, in my community, in the African-American community that punishes you for doing that. You're not Black enough. What's wrong? Why are you so uppity why you want to you know live there instead of live with us you know that sort of thing and that's what she had to deal with and she made mistakes because of that desire and just like you know some of us do forgetting where you really come from and who your people really are and making relationships that you bank on but aren't really relationships like she did in the hospital with who she thought were her friends and could count on so you know it was that's one of the many reasons why I enjoyed this book and I highly recommend it. So I assume you give it five stars, five out of five. I think it's just my first five-star book. I give it five stars. And and James, your wife is the one that recommended this book. Yes. So the person you know closest to you that knows you best thought that it would be a great choice. So I assume you guys had a good conversation about this book as well. We have tabled our conversation until after the this this podcast. Oh, yeah, okay. she is she is gonna listen to the podcast. In fact, I was I was I thought about asking you guys if she could actually participate in the podcast, but then uh you know she kind of shied away from that and and uh thought that would be kind of honing in on our action. But um she's gonna listen to this podcast and um and then we'll have a discussion just like the example of our listeners listeners out there who have read this book and want to hear our analysis of it she's going to be you know our little guinea pig that's awesome well i would love to hear a follow-up next time on 
on your discussion and what she thought, you know, hearing, hearing the podcast episode. Sure. And she, and she enjoyed the book thoroughly too. I have to ask, was she reading it for a book club? <laughs> yeah. Um, we could do a whole other podcast about my wife. But uh, one of the, the main things would be her antisocial behavior. And she doesn't go out and, you know, you know, vandalizing cars and that sort of thing. Not that kind of antisocial, but she does. She doesn't do club things. She doesn't do gather with the other girls things. She, she doesn't do that. She kind of uh, picked this book up on her own. Okay. So, Kate, are there any other thoughts you had that you wanted to share? What um, would you give? What's your final rating on this book? I think my final rating, I'm going to give it a 4.5 out of 5. And the 0.5 is because the white supremacist chapters were too long and they made me very uncomfortable. I didn't like, I just didn't like being in his head. I don't want to hear that Nazi bullshit. You know what I'm saying? Um, And it it made me mad that like no one ever stood up to him or, you know, anyone else in their group. No one. And when he was even first drawn into it, he never really questioned it. No one questioned them. No one told them it was wrong. And that made me so mad because I got into some trouble once standing up to a neo-Nazi. Very proud of that. What? And yeah. <laughs> oh, that you can't just gloss over oh, that. Sorry. <laughs> I'm sorry. Oh, uh, the youth minister at my church when I was going through confirmation made some very anti-Semitic commentary. And I I was the only one to say anything. In this room of like 20 other teenagers, I was the only person who ever said anything. And I, you know, I told my parents, they told the church leaders and they said, oh, we don't believe her. She's just a teenage girl. She's looking for attention. Uh-huh. And so he got to keep spewing that at teenagers. <sighs> He got removed eventually when other people complained, but apparently my opinion wasn't enough. So my parents let me sort of be mean to him within the bounds of the rules that I had to follow. But um, I was allowed to be mean to the anti-Semitic neo-Nazi man, and I'm proud of it. And uh, more people need to stand up and say, like, stop doing that. If that first nurse, if the nurse manager had stood up to them and said, you get who you get, she's a capable nurse, live with it or leave. (laughs) then none of the rest of this book would have happened. (laughs) We would have a pamphlet. Yeah. And the pamphlet would say, stand up to white supremacy. But it honestly probably could have gone down the same way because if she had stayed there nurse, it sounded like the son was going to die no matter what. Yeah, that's true. So they still would have ended up blaming her somehow. Maybe. But the right thing is to stand up to white supremacy. Don't let that shit fly. So I I feel bad giving this book a three. (laughs) I really, I know, I'm sorry, James. I really enjoyed our discussion. (laughs) I really enjoyed the discussion. So it was a three before we started. I might bump it up to 3.5, but it's only because I really, really, really do not like courtroom books. I don't like the back and forth thing. You know, on a personal note, we have a lot of history with this kind of thing in, in my family, like a lot of courtroom stuff we've had to go through. So reading about it just is not too exciting for me. But as a whole, I think that this is a really important book. I I think it is a really great one to fuel discussion. I think it's good for book clubs because it can open eyes to a lot of things. Um, I hope that this becomes a movie. I think that they could cut out a lot 
you know, the book a lot of times drags things out. Like you said, the white supremacist chapters were just like really, really long. And I listened to the audiobook version. I normally don't do audiobooks, but I've been doing a lot of woodworking. So I listen to books as I do that. So it was really, really, really long. <laughs> it was a really long book. Um, but overall, I would still definitely recommend it, even though the genre itself isn't really appealing to me. But Wait, I have a question about the audiobook version. Do yeah. you say the N-word out loud? Because I would not be comfortable with listening to that, like, you know, just walking around your house and then that flies out into the air and there's a baby who's going to learn language soon. I mean, that. Well, I only listen to it at night <laughs> so, oh. <laughs> with, with my headphones on. But, but yeah, I mean, they said, they said that and, you know, I don't know, I haven't seen the narrators, but they had a woman, two different women narrators and a man narrator. I don't know their races, but I assume that, that they were, you know, an African-American woman, a white woman and a white man. But yeah, they, they said it a lot. (laughs) Turk, Turk's character said it a lot. In my ears. Do our next podcast on the N word. So, um, with all that, next time we are doing a double whammy podcast. We'll have one mini episode, a bonus episode, where we are going to be discussing the sequel to Trail of Lightning called The Storm of Locusts. So, we'll just do a little follow up and a brief discussion. And then our next full podcast will be discussing Outlawed by Anna North. So thank you all for listening. And we hope that you join us for our next discussion. Thanks for listening to the Judging More Than Just the Cover podcast. I'm Amber Gregg. Join us next month to see what we thought of another best-selling book with a strong female main character. The chat doesn't end here. Let us know your thoughts in the comment area or connect with us on social media. Enjoyed the show? Share the love. Give us a review, like, follow, and a share with your friends. Find more reviews, discussions, and articles related to publishing, writing, and editing on judgingmorethanjustthecover.com or follow us on Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram. Until next time, peace out. Oh, 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 oh,